And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And you can catch me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. And if you're following my Twitter feed, you saw that uh, over the weekend I put up a very sort of short statement, but I think one that I would hope resonates with a lot of people, which is I, I, I'm just so unhappy about continuing to live in a society where personal gossip, discussion of our leaders' personalities, discussion of what our leaders may or may not have said, discussion of our leaders' personal families, things like that, continues to be more important and get more attention and get more buzz than discussing their actions or policies. Um, now, I want to make it clear that I don't think there are, are any societies that are different than that, than that, <laughs> than this. In other words, I don't think, oh, gee, in Britain, they don't care about personalities. They only vote in po- for policy. They're, they look at someone's record, and that's how they vote. Or that's what they discuss in their, um, in, in their, in their either private discussion sessions, public discussion sessions, in the news media, that kind of thing. Or, or any other country. Certainly, Israel is another example. I mean, I think there's a tremendous amount of focus, a, a majority of focus on personalities and individual spats and individual fights and things like that. And that is just true of human beings. One of the things that I really started to latch on to in 2016 and during that election uh, was after I just kind of was able to finally vocalize and make it clear how I feel about the way folks, folks vote in this country and every country. We like to think, especially those of us who are educated, we'd like to think that we vote based on policy, that we vote based on records, and that we don't let our personal emotions play any role or, or a major role, or we don't let our feelings about the personalities of the candidates play a role or too much of a role. But even for the very educated among us, that is an emotional failing. That, that is a personal failing that we have. However, I would like to live in a society where we recognize that. We know that people look at personalities and they have an emotional reaction to them one way or the other that isn't based on their actions or it isn't based on their policies or things that they've done. But So I, I don't want to pretend that that isn't the way we make our choices, because it is. It's a huge reason for the and it's not the only it's not the only factor but it's it's a major factor. Um but I I still would rather have our official discussion sort of you know look past that and say okay, we're not going to delve into that or surrender to that as as much as we can because we we would rather try to present something presentable. So in other words, you know, we know that there are certain tendencies that human beings have. I might walk into a party and know that everyone is really there just for the food and or or I might know I'm really only there for the food or I might be the host and know that everyone is there really just for the food or for the entertainment. And but we try to be polite and be <laughs> better people by not saying to everyone, "Hey, okay, I'll get we'll get to the food. Shut up." Uh and then you guys get out of here or something like that. I mean, it's just not the way we should act. We would like to put forth I, I wonder if our emotional and whatever it is in our DNA, whatever it is in our emotions and our DNA that bring us to a point where we still make a huge part of our decision-making process based on our emotions 
and our connections per, with, and our focus on personalities of candidates. I wonder if we could diminish that in our DNA and diminish that in our society and diminish that in our just natural makeup the more we decide not to give into it. And we just, we just do. If, you, if, you, if I would go now and, and talk with even some of the most educated people in the world at a coffee shop or something, or just walking down the street and talking with them, and I asked for their assessment of, of the 2020 presidential election, the chances are very high that most likely they will spend most of their time talking about the personalities of the candidates. They might say that Joe Biden is mentally in decline. They might say Joe Biden has never really stood for anything. They might say uh, the usual complaints you hear about Donald Trump, that he's really, really nasty, that he's a liar, that he's this. You'll, you'll hear a lot of that. The chances of you hearing somebody go p- point by point and saying, well, this policy that Trump enacted was bad or this policy was good or this thing, this bill that Joe Biden passed was bad, you know, helped push through the Senate when he was in the Senate was bad and this was good. The chances that you will hear a majority of the discussion or the speech or whatever, you know, let someone have a monologue. The chances that you'll hear them talk mostly about policy and action and less about personality are low. They're going to talk about personality. That's the way it is, even with the most educated person speaking. And the fact is, is that that's the way we talk about and think about candidates. And it's too bad because it doesn't have to be that way. I think in our DNA and the way that we feel, that's, that's a hard wave to fight against. I get, to sw- you know, that's a hard current to swim against. I get it. But when we speak publicly and when, especially in the news media or policy experts start talking, we should really let them talk. And, and, and it's not about being boring, because there are plenty of people who can talk about policies and really get your blood boiling one way or the other. I promise you. So, of course, this is all my way of addressing what we've heard in the news media just the last few days, this unsourced story, gossipy type story about something that Donald Trump said about soldiers who have fallen in battle. In this case, particularly, it was a couple of years ago. They canceled a presidential visit to a U.S. military cemetery in France, a World War I military cemetery. The official reasons and the, and the reasons that are totally documented in all the weather logs and all the travel logs is that there was rain and it wasn't really a good idea to go to the cemetery at that time. But the Atlantic, which is, you know... <laughs> not the most reliable news source and hasn't been for a long time, is reporting that President Trump said something really nasty about troops that had died in battle, that he didn't respect them, that they were losers, and he didn't want to waste his time there. Um, as many people have noted, a lot of these salacious type stories about Donald Trump have been about things that have nothing to do with policy. If you look at Donald Trump's policies, you've got probably the most pro-veteran president you've ever, we've ever had in office. You could argue Ronald Reagan was a little bit more pro-veteran and pro-military. But I think that Donald Trump was, is probably pro, more pro-military. He's put in some pay rate. I mean, the, the, the difference would be in, in the, a little bit in numbers. Um, for example, Ronald Reagan enacted some bigger pay raises for the military than Donald Trump has. But Trump has done... It, I guess, three times already in the almost four years he's been president. So you could argue they're kind of on the same ground there. They're also on the same ground in that neither Reagan nor Trump, and both of their administrations are really proud of this, got us into any longstanding foreign wars. Although Ronald Reagan did send major numbers of troops to Lebanon, for example. He pulled them out after the 1983 uh, bombing in Beirut of the Marine, bar- the Marine headquarters there. Um, 
And he did send troops on the ground to invade Grenada, although that was kind of a, a one-day operation. Um, but for the most part, you know, can you compare them to the George Bush administrations and some other and the Democrat administrations that, that have been around? Both the Trump and the Reagan administrations are really proud of the fact that they have not sent, they did not send uh, a major amount of troops in for a prolonged kind of military activity. Um, there have been a number of other things also. The man is always, in public, Donald Trump has always spoken so incredibly highly of the veterans. And again, this was a hit piece based in, in hopes of hitting Donald Trump in, at one of his, on one of his strengths and, and perhaps to diminish military support for him. Um, I don't know if that will really work. I think it may rile up some of the people who already don't like Donald Trump. I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference at the ballot box. It's a chance it will completely backfire because in the wake of this story, you've had a lot of veterans coming forward telling stories about Donald Trump doing things, nice things for the troops or for them personally that we've not heard before. So you might get a parade of stories now uh, that are really nice for Donald Trump, you know, complimenting him and, and make him look good when it comes to his relationship with troops and veterans and things like that. But my point, the reason why I want to talk about it is, again, this is another example of here we are talking and spending most of our time talking about a gossipy type story about something that somebody may or may not have said. And it, nobody says it affected policy in any way. It's not like the people, even the pe- people believing or promoting this story. None of them are saying, oh, and because he said that, he did something else really bad for the troops. Or he did, you know, I, they're, they're saying that the worst thing that he did, if, if this is true that he said this, the worst thing they did is he didn't do a photo op at a military cemetery, which doesn't mean anything really to anybody. We're talking about World War II fallen here. You know, there, anyone who knew these people is also long gone. It's not like that really is, is a thing anymore. <laughs> That's not a thing. Um, I don't, again, I, I personally don't believe this story. I think he may have said something that somebody may have misheard. I think it's much, much more likely this is completely uh, f- fabricated. But you have to admit, whether he said it or not, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Now, it would matter if his policies were highly suspect and anti-veteran, if he had, or anti, and more importantly, anti-active duty soldier. If he had done things, if he had not raised their pay, if he had sent them into harm's way in great numbers as opposed to trying to and already successfully withdrawing quite a few of them from harm's way, if he hadn't been supportive of boosting the military budget, you could say all of those things. If, he had, if, if all those things weren't true, if Donald Trump didn't have the record that he has when it comes to the military and comes to veterans, you could say, well, you know, that comment makes all the sense in the world. He doesn't like troops. He doesn't like veterans. But the opposite is true. The policies, the, hard, the, the stuff that we can prove, the stuff that we do know, contradicts that in every which way that you can possibly say. And Beyond that, which is, again, the point here is that we're talking about talking about gossip. We're talking about hearsay as opposed to policy. Let's talk about the policy. Now, there are probably a lot of Americans who don't like the fact that there's been so much of an increase in military spending. I know for a fact that's true. I think, actually, and if you've seen some of the columns I've written over the years, I think that one of the lies they tell you about the American public is that no, the voters will never accept any cut in American defense spending. Whereas the truth is, where accurate polls tell you, it depends what kind of spending you're talking about. If you're going to reduce defense spending by ending the production of important weaponry that defends the country that keeps us safe, whether it's 
radar systems, missile systems, aircraft carriers, then, yeah, you're going to have a big pushback. If you're going to try to reduce pay for the troops and benefits for the troops, yeah, you're going to have a big pushback. But if you decide, for example, to cut hundreds of billions of dollars from the defense budget over a certain amount of years by closing a lot of our foreign military bases in countries that aren't as helpful to the United States in defense as they should be, like Germany, uh, the American public's very much in favor of that. And, of course, you, you, you may have seen in, in columns that I've written over the years uh, a strong argument that I think I've made that we need to close a lot of our foreign military bases. We have military bases in places like Aruba. <laughs> we have, I think that we should have military bases in Germany and Japan, but the question is whether we need as many as we have. I don't think we do. Um, but there are reasons why we have a hard time closing those bases, and it's not because the American public is against it. It's because the individual congressmen and defense contractors who make money off of it are <laughs> influencing Congress not to cut, not, and, and, and whoever the president may be at certain times, not to close these bases. But, of course, President Trump has, has decided to move some of the troops out, out of Germany and into places that are a little bit more supportive of the defense mission like Poland. Um, for which he's been accused of being a Russian agent. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's the laughable, you know, kind of way that people push back on losing their little honeypot. They got a honeypot with some of these, some of these folks, you know, it, it, when, when you hear someone opposing a policy, or more importantly, when they decide to demonize the person promoting the policy that they, don't, that they apparently don't like, you, you, you should start taking a look at whether there's a financial interest there for them. So my point is, is that you can cut part of the defense budget with a lot of the American people's support. just depends on what part of it it is. If I just say cut defense spending, yeah, it probably will get a majority of Americans even now, even with the progressive numbers in this country apparently growing. You'll probably still get a majority of American people who will say in a poll, in a reliable poll, that they're against it. But if you specifically talk about what defense program or what type of spending you want to cut, then that's a totally different story. And military bases... For a long time, the, when you think about the number that we have in certain countries, foreign military bases I'm talking about, have for a long time not had the kind of support that, that, the, that they need from the American public if we ever put this issue in front of them, which I'd like to see. Now, Donald Trump has become – is the first president we've ever had really to at least indirectly put this issue out in front of the American people because he is deciding to move some troops out of Germany where the Germans have not been supportive of the U.S. – uh, push the Trump administration's push to get more of the NATO countries to spend more in, on defense. And Germany has done it, kicking and screaming and dragging their heels. And it's been one of the most successful policy moves by the Trump administration when it comes to defense. Um, the tremendous controversy they tried to create, again, a lot of gossip and innuendo, and Trump was mean when he said it, that, all kinds of talk about the way he talks and his personal style. That was the kind of story that you saw a couple of years ago, three years ago or so. When the news came out that President Trump was pushing our NATO allies to start living up to their promises and spend more on the, on the NATO defense budget. And it's really important to, to note that this isn't a case of Donald Trump saying, hey, spend more than you promised, pony up more than you pledged. He was telling them that they weren't paying what they had promised to pay to, in the past, which is completely true. And that's a factual – no one has denied that as, is true. There were excuses for them not paying as much as they promised to pay, but nobody said, oh, no, that's not true. So there again, you have an example of a policy that's been successful because he's gotten Germany and he's gotten some of these other countries to finally meet their 
promises when it comes to how much they're going to pay in defense. But most of the coverage, right, most of the coverage of, of that entire story has been about how Donald Trump is a bully and he said it in a mean way. Or he privately said something nasty, or he embarrassed the United States with this comment. Again, none of it confirmed, all of it gossipy, all of it innuendo. And, you know, people talk about that much more than they talk about the fact that it worked. Whatever it is that he did, it worked. We got Germany to spend more. But they're still kind of hostile to the United States when it comes to our defense mission. They're incredibly two-faced about how they want the United States to protect them against potential Russian aggression. But at the same time, Germany has handed over more and more of its energy, uh, entire energy market to Russia, because Germany, like the state of California here in the United States, did a very ill-advised move over to supposedly renewable energy type projects, got rid of their nuclear stuff, got rid of a lot of their fossil fuel stuff, and now they need fossil fuel from Russia to, 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 to power their country. Which, of course, is a national security issue for anybody to have to rely so much on another country uh, for your energy. Um, so we've had this for the last few days. President Trump allegedly said this, and, and, and there's just not enough talk about policy. And I think that, I, I, again, I, I don't think I'm alone here, because as much as I say that people still vote a lot based on personality, and I don't exclude myself from that, I don't think that I am of a, a higher evolved level of humans that hasn't, that haven't you know come out <laughs> hasn't been born yet that can completely separate his emotions and his assessment of a person man or a woman who's running and keep that completely separate from my decision to vote for him or her and really just focus on resume and policy i don't think i'm there yet and i don't think anybody is i really don't however i think i'm getting closer if there's anything i want to thank donald trump for it's that because i just don't know if i would ever really personally like him I don't know if I would want to spend time with this guy. <laughs> and it's not because of what's been reported about him. It's just but from what I've seen. I don't know if I would really enjoy a day with Donald Trump or a weekend with Donald Trump. Maybe I would, by the way. And I don't want to say that I wouldn't for sure because I don't know. But I do think more than any other president in the past, I've really put myself in a position to think like I don't – to say it and say it really kind of resolutely that I don't care. Now, if I were his friend, and if I were his, you know, if I were a member of the clergy would, of, uh, you know, of his church, I would worry a little bit more about anybody's character, be they the president or not. But the chances of me ever having a personal relationship with any president of the United States, this, inc- this one included, are really, really low. My personal fortunes, be they good or bad, and my country's fortunes, be, be they good or bad, are going to be much more connected to, the, to, the pres- to this person's policies, to any given president's policies, and more importantly, their actions. You can have a lot of policies that you want to have enacted if you're president. The question is whether or not they, they get enacted, whether they really happen. And whether it's the things I've talked about already, whether it's support for the American defense you know, not establishment, because I think the defense establishment is really has a problem with Donald Trump, whether it's supporting our troops, whether it's supporting our veterans, again, in policy and in action, whether it's the support for the state of Israel, whether it's pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal, whether it's changing our tax laws so that people who live in coastal cities, including me, <laughs> but who, have, who, who are getting huge tax breaks just for owning an expensive home, when blue-collar workers and factory workers and, hour- and hourly workers were 
percentage-wise, not getting the same tax break. This is something that the Donald Trump tax reform did. Uh, And I'm listing a lot of different policies here. Uh, Whether it's doing what he did over the weekend also, which is getting rid of this critical race theory practice. A lot of federal agencies were bringing all their white employees in and telling them to be guilty about, for being white. And we, and we, the taxpayers, were paying for this kind of stuff. I think that we should have human resources type employee sessions in our government to make sure that people aren't acting in a racist way, to make sure that people aren't, there isn't any sexual harassment, all that kind of stuff. And most of us who've worked in major corporations have gone through this kind of training that we have to go through. I get that. But this was beyond the pale, this critical race theory type stuff. I don't think it's right for a company to, t- to make me feel guilty about how I, you know, what, what race or religion I was born into. And just this weekend, he did that. There are a lot of amazing policies and actions that this president has put forth and put into action. Does it make him a better human being? I don't know. Uh, my father-in-law and I like to talk about the plumber analogy a lot when we talk about Donald Trump. Maybe your plumber is kind of a disgusting guy. Maybe he curses a lot. Maybe he's not really well-dressed. Maybe he comes in and looks ridiculous. But in the end, if he really fixes your problem and he does it for a price that's fair and you don't have flooding in your basement and your toilets are working and you've got hot water when you didn't before, you're satisfied. And unless this is a person that you're really going to cultivate a personal friendship with or a personal relationship with, it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you condone bad behavior. That doesn't mean you're promoting bad behavior. You're saying this person has, 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 has taken a certain job with me, has a job to do, they've done it well, they've done this job the way I want it to be done, and I, I'm not going to judge him on his personality right now. I will judge him later when it comes to whether or not I'm going to go get a beer with him later. I'll go watch a game with him, and maybe I'll say, no, I don't want to do that. I'll come up with a polite excuse. But as far as the next time I have a problem in the house with my plumbing, I'm still going to hire him. I'm going to hire him again because he did a good job. Now, again, I don't think that we are at a place or any society in the world is at a place yet where they can talk about their politicians this way. They can talk about their presidents or their prime ministers or their leaders in this way. I mean, look at Israel. I mean, personality stuff and personal family stuff with Benjamin Netanyahu has been the dominant content of the coverage of of this prime minister for his entire time in public life, but especially his time as prime minister. Remember, he was prime minister for a couple of years, 96 to 98, a little bit more than, like basically almost three years. And now he's been prime minister for 11 and a half years or almost 11 and a half years. I mean, he's been prime minister of Israel in total, about 14 years, the longest anyone has ever been prime minister of Israel. And as far as I can remember, the major stories that have always resonated the most with the public in Israel have been about him and his wife, or him and his kids, or his personal conduct, one way or the other. Now, I'm not saying none of that ever matters, but when you take a look at the massive numbers of policies that Netanyahu has enacted for Israel, by the way, also as finance minister, because he was finance minister as well in his career. If you, really, if you take a look at Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the, the public servant, <laughs> I know that isn't the greatest word because I don't know if that's, there's, there's a servant aspect of our public servants. I think they kind of think the public is servant, servant you know, should be servile to them. But that, putting that word aside, 
if you take a look at the, at the, at the policies that Benjamin Netanyahu has enacted as prime minister and in those years as finance minister, it's an incredible change to the state of Israel that I think only the most cynical and really unstable person could possibly say that Israel is worse off because of all the things that Netanyahu has actually done. If you can t- take his personal, the, the salacious and the gossipy stories, if you can put them to one side, there's just no sane person who can say that all of these policies, that the total record and the change in Israel from the time that he first became prime minister the first time to today is not incredibly positive. A lot of things have happened in that, in that period that aren't good. But overall, who can possibly say that Israel isn't in a better place than it was overall in 1996? I think from an economic standpoint, that's not even a question. From a defense standpoint, I think, I think that's also not much of a question. From a relationship with the United States standpoint, yeah, it was pretty good in 1996. It's even better now. But certainly with the new peace agreement with the United Arab Emirates, with the de facto peace that Israel has had for years now with Saudi Arabia, which hopefully will go public and become more official at some point, that certainly is much better. There's, just, there's, no, there's no contest here. I could talk about a lot of other things as well. The fact that, I mean, t- look at the fact that you, you don't even, if you, if you were wor- serving in the IDF now, you don't even, the, the time that the military service that boys need to commit to is less because they've made so many advances technologically. Things like that. There are, just, there are so many things. But economically, I guess, is probably the biggest difference. So, and I think that in the case of Donald Trump, it's a little harder because it's only been three years, three and a half years, and it's only, and we're dealing with this COVID crisis now, which has whacked everybody all over the world. You'll notice that even though the Democrats are still saying this a little bit, it hasn't been at the forefront of their campaign against Donald Trump, the following argument, oh, he, he did so much worse than all the other countries in the world when it comes to COVID, you got to get rid of him. And I think that that was something that they wanted to say, but it got snatched away from the fact that there's been a resurgence of problems in Europe. There have been, from a standpoint of deaths, the death rate here in the United States, we're still pretty down on that list. I think we're, there's nine or 10 or 11 countries with much higher death rates than the United States, and, and our death rate continues to go down. So even with that, and again, I, I just don't think anyone has made a cogent argument for all this. Tell me exactly what Donald Trump should have done that he didn't do. Some people will say something like, well, he shouldn't in 2017 gotten rid of some of these folks who had an official job of trying to watch out for pandemics, which, of course, is a disputed argument because those people kind of got shuffled around. He didn't get sort of get rid of those folks. But even then, no one can tell me exactly what they would have done, (laughs) even if they still had that office, other than maybe send another email to somebody. Who knows? My point is, the country is stronger on a lot of different levels, and nobody can make that argument otherwise. If you take the co- this COVID thing out of, out, out of, out of con- you know, if you just got to put that aside for just a second, and I know you can't just put it aside forever, but just for a second, you've got to look at the policies. And I think that the Democrats and other people who are opposed to Donald Trump are very, very keen to forget about all of that. Because now you have a Republican president, a Republican president, who has made it clear he doesn't want to get us into foreign wars almost ever. you got a Republican president who wants to protect American industry more, not be a globalist kind of Wall Street uh, slave. You have a Republican president who 
is really looking at taxes in a way that also is, does not favor the very rich. You, you have to admit, Donald Trump sort of found a fairer way and a more effective way to raise taxes on the rich. So there's just a lot of policy stuff here that's going to be popular across the country. And so, and so they focus on his personality. I just want to live in a country where we talk more about policy than personality. I hope we can get there one day. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Malcolm Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.